You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Jesus interprets the law against murder. Learn more about murder and anger in week four of our series, Redefined. shifting towards how the gospel, how the message of the gospel affects the relationships that we have. And so we're going to talk about anger and offense today. Who among you, you have anger issues or offense with somebody. This is a message crafted for you, right? So please don't get mad at me. It is the Lord speaking to you. We're jumping off from the premise that saving faith leads to good works. Once we understand, as Jesus was talking to the crowd, what he was saying is that once you have experienced the love, the forgiveness, and the grace of God, and you respond to that grace, you are now saved. And you're called a Christian. And because you're a Christian, it would lead you now to do good works. And the good works that we have is not the same as the good works of the world. Because the good works that we have as Christians is birthed out of God's loving grace towards us. That's why I can do this. Now, let me uh, be uh, blunt now in advance. This is going to be very hard teaching. Because we're going to talk about forgiveness and bitterness and offense. Okay? And some of you, you came here with a lot of offense in your heart. And, and so I want you to be prepared to what God wants to speak to you. Now, this is not a preaching about how to do or what to do, but this is a preaching that would show to you the light of why God commands us to go and get rid of all bitterness and offense in our lives. In a way, it's a guideline towards people who have experienced the grace of God, so now we can actually do this. But for somebody who hasn't experienced the unconditional love of God, this would be so hard. This would be an impossible preaching application for you. But for those who have experienced the grace of God, this would be in a way a reflection of God's love towards us that now we can give that love to others. Saving faith leads to good works. It's not good works that leads to saving faith. It is now that I'm a Christian. That's why I'm commanded to do this by the power of God and by the grace of God. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 5. And we're looking at the whole Matthew chapter 5, but we're going to look at verse 21 to 26 for today. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. While you're going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, And the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. We start off in verse 21 where it says, You have heard that it was said of those of old. During ancient times, Jesus was saying, 
You've already heard this. If you commit murder, you'll be liable to judgment. If I kill somebody, I am already judged. That was something that was familiar to everybody in the crowd. But verse 22, Jesus redefined. And He says, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Verse 22 is, when I kill and murder someone, I am judged. But in verse 22, he says, But if you have anger in your heart against a brother or a sister or any human beings, you are also liable to judgment. You are also judged. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. In another version, it actually says, if you say... Uh, Raka, okay, which means, which I really don't know what it means, okay. It just sounds like a curse word. Raka, okay. Raka, okay. So if, if you say that, the Bible says you will be liable to judgment. If you say to somebody, you fool or you're stupid, he says you will be liable to judgment. Now, most of us in this room were sitting down and saying, oh no, I've said those things and even worse. The Bible says, I am liable to to judgment. I am already judge. Everybody in this room, we are all guilty one time or the other of saying those words and there's anger in our hearts. And God says, that is actually like murder. Verse 22, carelessly call a brother. And this is the message version. Idiot. And you must just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister. And you are on the brink of hell fire. The Bible talks about the hell of fire here in the Greek word as uh, Gehana. Gehana is a place during the ancient times when people were going to offer their babies to Molech, a god that they've created. They would burn their babies on Gehana. And that's why it was called Gehana. It was a lake of fire where babies were burned. Now, during Jesus' time, the context was different. Gehana now was no longer allowed to burn your babies, and so they made it into a garbage dump. And according to the tales, was when you pass by Gehana, even though it's full of trash and garbage, you can still feel the heat. Jesus was saying in context that when you are angry with your brother, you are judged, not just spiritually, but you are in emotionally and physically, throwing the relationship to the hell of fire. You burn bridges because of anger and offense. Have you ever been offended? What happens to the relationship? You cut it off. You burn the bridge. For some, not even having a vision of this being restored or repaired because you're saying, I don't want to do anything with that person. You've thrown that relationship into a hell into the hell uh, into a lake of fire so jesus was saying you will be judged because of anger and bitterness you call yourself someone you know words are so powerful he says because of the emotions that you have inside of offense you now start to say words well sometimes you mean it but most of the times you don't mean it and you start saying mean words. And we grew up in that kind of culture where we say words that hurt and words that kill. 
So the simple moral fact is this. Words kill, according to the Bible. This is directly translated from the message version. Words kill. Growing up, were there hurtful words that were said to you that defined who you are? I remember growing up with a lot of people bullying me because of my face. That's why I cannot face my problem, because the problem is my face. And they were saying mean words about me, and I couldn't process it as a young person who, was, who God gifted with thick eyebrows and no eyes. It was hard. You know, and you feel insecure about those words. And sometimes you make dumb decisions. And they would say, you're B-O-B-O, you're like this, you're like... And the words would kill, especially words from loved ones. Right? Especially words from family. Those are the most hurtful words. At this moment, when a stranger tells me something and comments about my face, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. Except if it's a loved one. Like maybe my wife or my mom would say, you're no longer handsome. You know, it, it stings a bit because you're the only person who should say that I'm handsome because you're my mom. Or somebody tells you you're not worth it or you're this or you're like that. You know, it kind of hurt. Words kill. If you grew up in a family that's very sarcastic, right, which I grew up in, we're a very sarcastic family. We're a very... Uh, uh, a family that says words, uh, we, we hurt each other with words. It was normal for us. I think it's the culture that we were brought up in. Of course, we changed because we're now Christians. We're no longer as mean to each other. Right? And we're being transformed. But then there are times when words were said that defined who you are. I remember I told you I was first honor when I was in grade 3. I hope you remembered. So I think I said it 20 times in one preaching. Right? But one of the turning points in my life was when I was in grade 4. Never told you about my achievements when I was in grade 4. I was third honor. Coming home, when my parents found out I was third honor, they said something that actually defined me. They said, why are you just third honor? At a young age, I couldn't Imagine, why, why aren't you happy with my bronze medal? Grade 5, I started failing. Because words hurt and words kill. Grade 6, let's not continue the story. No? Okay. <laughs> Until I married somebody who's very intelligent. Right? And God redeemed me. And now I'm studying again. So Lord, help me. <laughs> Words kill. Maybe somebody said something about you. You know, you're B-O-B-O or you have B-O. You know? <laughs> Whatever words were said to you, sometimes it defines you. It scars you for life. Because words kill. But, I don't want you to go to, uh, to an extreme and saying, Oh yeah, because when I was young, they kept saying those words. And that's why we're Christians today. Christ redefined us. And the words of God bring healing and restoration. When before I was so insecure with my looks, now it doesn't really matter what other people would think. When before I was so insecure with my achievements, that I never had enough money, or I need this certain financial goal, now it doesn't really matter. Why? Because Christ has redefined me. 
His words has redefined me. We as Christians should live by the saying. It doesn't matter what other people think. Or it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. What matters is what Christ thinks about you. Let the words of Christ bring healing and wholeness in your life again. And that's why it's, so very, it's very important to read the scripture. Or else, whatever words were said in the past would continue to define you. Wala kang kwenta. Di ka nag-iisip. Ganun ka na. It defines you. Okay? But when the word of Christ would, when you start reading scripture, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made by God, and God has specific plans for you, and God tells you, I will be with you always to the very end of the age, what happens? It turns your life around. It really finds how you live your life. And the same way with the laws that was given in Matthew 5. Jesus was turning it around so that you might see it in a different light. Words kill, but the words of God can heal. Because we can never stop people from saying harsh words, right? Today, everybody gets easily offended. That's why it's so hard to put a status on Facebook. No matter how neutral, somebody will get offended. No matter what picture, somebody will find a way to judge you. Why? We're easily offended. Nakaka-offend yung picture niya. Nag-OOTD. Habang yung ibang tao, wala namang damit. At walang makain. Wala kang pwedeng gawin na walang ma-offend. Everybody now gets offended. But Jesus gave us guidelines as Christians and saying, we can't live that way. We can't be easily offendable. Because we are now, we've experienced saving faith. Which would lead us to now redefine the relationships around us. He says, if you murder, you're liable to judgment. When you say words like, you fool, raka, idiot, you know, you're liable to judgment. He was elevating anger to a whole new level. And he was saying, anger is actually murder. It's the same judgment. Do you have anger issues? What are the words coming out of your mouth, especially in stressful times? Or when you're offended, what do you do with the offense? Do you nurse it? Or do you surrender it to Jesus? Because anger is murder. Let's move to verse 23. It says, So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, in our context, what that means is, if you enter a place of worship, you're going to church, and about to make an offering, and you suddenly remember a bitterness, unforgiveness, a grudge, a friend or a brother has against you, the Bible says, abandon your offering, leave your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right with him and with God. Then and only then can you come back and work things out with God. Verse 23 and verse 24. If you remember, there's something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. These are strong words by Jesus. Some people think, if I give money to God and to the church... Everything will be alright. Lord, I work hard for this and now I'm giving this to you. I hope this is money payment for my unforgiveness. 
I hope you overlook my bitterness and offense against somebody because I'm giving this to you. Jesus was saying, no. I don't care about the millions you're going to give to the altar. Leave it. Go and make things right. Why? Because in the eyes of Jesus, reconciliation is more important than your offering. Whether it's money, time, volunteer, leave all those. If there's bitterness in your heart and offense in your heart, and go do something about that relationship. Because that relationship is far more important than your offering. Relational unity is far more important than whatever money you're going to bring to the church and offer to the church. Or whatever volunteerism you're going to do. How are the relationships in your life? Because for Jesus, it was clearly defined. Relationships are far more important than money. That's why what would Satan do to destroy families? Money. How many times have money destroyed relationships? Because Satan will tell us money is far more important than relationship. And later you would see the progression of the relationship when bitterness and offense is, are, are nursed in your heart. It does something to the relationship. He says, come to terms what? Quickly. Now. With your accuser. While you are going with him to court. What this meant was, from let's talk it over, now we can't even settle this, let's just go to the court and settle this. And Jesus was saying, no, come to terms quickly, even as you're walking to the court, I hope this gets fixed. Quickly, now, do it now. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge the guard and you be put in prison. I hope you notice a different relational term here. He started off, if you have sinned or offense against your brother or your sister, now you're no longer calling him brother or sister, you're calling him the what? Accuser. Which is a title reserved for Satan. The accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brothers. See how the words change when there's offense in your heart. Your brother that you grew up with, your Christian brother or sister that you worship with, now you can no longer call brother or sister because you've seen him as somebody who is an accuser like the enemy. Jesus says, come to terms quickly. Do something about it. While on your way to the court, don't let it reach the court. Fix it. Now. The message version says, Or say you're out in the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a what? A minute. Do it now. Don't prolong. I must do something about this offense in my heart. I know I've been hurt, but don't lose a minute. Some of you would be tempted to say, you know what, I, yeah, I'm, I'm being convicted now, I'll do it next week. No, don't lose a minute. Okay. Finish the message first, before going out. Okay. Make the what? First move. Who makes the move? The one who's reading it now. 
the one who's being preached to. Make the first move. Why? Because your accuser is not here. And he hasn't read this verse. Make things right with him. It is my responsibility as somebody who has been saved by God to make the first move. But pastor, you don't understand. He did this and he did that. He gossiped. He spread lies. Posted a picture of me on Facebook that's, that I really don't like because the angle was wrong. Right? You don't understand the offense. Swindled money from the family. Right? Wasted all the inheritance of the siblings. You don't understand, Pastor, how our lives now are in shambles. America. Shambles. Okay. What does the Bible command us to do? Don't lose a minute. You make the first move. Why? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who's right or who's wrong. The business of every Christian and the responsibility of every Christian is to reconcile that relationship because that is for Jesus far more important than money or offering. It's a different worldview. It's very different. I know some of your lives are affected because of what has happened to you in the past. But at the same time, we can't, you know, we can't go back in time and change it. We're not the Flash or any superhero. We can't change the past. But we can move forward by saying, you know what, let's be reconciled. Because at the end of the day, that's my brother. That's my father. That's my sister. That's my friend. Relationship is more important. That's why you make the first move and you make things right. It is your responsibility. It is the responsibility of every Christian to be reconciled. Sa Tagalog, wala kang kaaway. Because Christ reconciled Himself to us when we were still sinners. He made the way. Christ made the first move. Christ made things right with us. And now, Christ is saying, you've experienced and seen my action of compassion and grace and and forgiveness. Now, as Christians, do likewise. Go, make things right. Make the first move. It says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you paid the last penny. Jesus was saying, now, there's another way to do it. Don't settle it. Continue to harbor that bitterness. Continue to nurse the offense. Go to court. But, Here's the implication of you going to court. Number one, if you go to court, the judge will judge one of you and say, you are the guilty one and you have to pay the very last penny. You will pay for your sins. Now some of you are saying, that's such a great idea from the Bible. He deserves to pay every 
bit of sin is committed against me to the very last penny. That might be your thinking. Actually, I'm, I want that to happen. That He pays for every sin He has committed against me because He's destroyed my life. Now, if that's your thinking, as I've been Lord, if you go to the place of worship, there's a garage, you go and make things right, that's when I'll make things right with you. What is the Lord saying? If that's your thinking, I can actually do the same thing to you. The judgment you use on others is the same judgment I'll use to you. You want Him to pay for every last penny? You will pay for every last penny of your sin to the ultimate eternal judge, which is me. Because there's bitterness in your heart that is murder and you're liable to judgment. That's number one. I know some of us, we're wrestling with this because there's a high sense of righteousness and justice in our hearts. He needs to learn his lesson. He needs to pay for it. I want to turn the table. You need to learn your lesson. And you need to pay for every sin that you've committed against God. And once that happens, that is your very judgment. Till the day you die, the image of you walking with Mongo on your knee and and slap, you know, and slapping yourself because of your sin, that is the very picture of your judgment. Because that's how you treated a fellow brother or a fellow sister. Jesus says, that's an option. One of you will be guilty and pay for the last penny. But on the other hand, one of you also, since he's paying for his sin already, one of you, because of offense, will pay the ultimate judge because you haven't rid yourself of the offense and the bitterness in your heart. Who grabbing a hard teaching from the Lord? Who can? Who can do this? Actually, we can. If we, we've experienced the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. When the world view has been redefined because I understand the grace of God, I actually can do this. Oh, I know it's hard, but I, I can do this because Christ did it to me and I've experienced it and now I can give it away. What's the lesson in verse 26? There is a price to pay for unforgiveness. Every day of your life. Okay? No need to raise your hands. If there's unforgiveness and offense in your heart for the past few years or the past few months, you know every day you're paying for it, right? You're never as joyful. You're never as happy. Especially when that person comes to church. Sits beside you. Lifts us his his hand in worship because it's your husband. Every single day you see his face, you're paying the price because it has robbed you of your joy. Every single day you can't even go to God with a clear conscience. 
asking for the for your own forgiveness of sin because you know that you know that you know deep in your heart you've never forgiven a brother or a sister. That is your judgment. You know when there's dysfunctional relationships because of offense, people around you are affected. Could be your kids, could be your parents, could be relatives, could be best of friends in the past. Those are the price you pay for unforgiveness. There's a price to pay. So what is the solution? We go back to what Christ did for us. 2 Corinthians 5:18. But all things are out from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Corinthians is telling us, the letter to the Corinth church, it was telling us, Christ gave all out. Gave everything. He reconciled us to Himself. All the sins, offense, rebellion you did, He says, I gave everything I have so that we can be reconciled. I made the first mood. I made, I made things right so that you can be right with me through Christ. And he says, and because you've experienced and received my forgiveness, I now give you this ministry. It's not kids ministry or worship ministry or pulpit ministry. It is the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Now go and do likewise and serve others by being reconciled to others. It doesn't end in verse 18. Verse 19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. No longer what? Counting. Who loves to count? When it comes to offense. Isa pa. Nakakarami ka na eh. Terms of counting. How many times should I forgive a brother? Seven times? Seven times seven. That's also counting. <laughs> it was Jesus saying, you don't count. <laughs> Seventy times seven. You don't know, right? It's hard. Yeah. You don't count. Why? Jesus did not count people's sin against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 490. Wow, you counted. Okay. Gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. And now Paul says, We implore you, we encourage you, we beg you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. You can never say to somebody, you know, be, get right with God. God loves you. Receive Christ. You cannot say that if you've never been reconciled and there's offense in your heart. It doesn't make you a good ambassador. You're not a credible ambassador for Christ because you're not right with God. How can you say to somebody, 
Be reconciled to God. You see, God loves you. He has forgiven you of all sin. He died on the cross for you. His blood was shed for you. But you know in your heart you haven't forgiven this guy or that guy. Or you have a a family uh, dispute that's not been reconciled because you don't want to give forgiveness. How can you say to anybody be reconciled to God if you know in your heart you're not yet reconciled with somebody else? Christ in His love reconciled the world us to himself. And he says, I give you the ministry of reconciliation. How many times the word reconciled was mentioned in this verse? One, two, three, four, five. Five times. Why? In three verses, five times. Maybe he was emphasizing something. It's so important to be reconciled. Take away the offense. You nurse the offense, you build fences. You nurse the offense, you create a gap, you burn the bridge. Jesus said, no, I'm bridging the gap. And that's why now I'm commanding you, be reconciled to each other. Don't let unrighteous anger or malice, anger with malice, come between relationships because I've reconciled the world to myself and I'm entrusting to you now this ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. I want us to bow down our heads and I want us to pray. And I want us to reflect on the scripture that we just read and studied this morning. Holy Spirit, I know you're speaking to every one of us in this room. Lord, you want to start to do a healing work in the hearts of people who have harbored bitterness and offense some days, some months, some even years of bitterness. Holy Spirit, I pray for softened hearts today. Lord, you said in your word that it is our responsibility to make the first move to make things right. I pray that we get that spirit Because we, as your people, we've experienced the same love, the same action, the same courtesy that the Lord has given us. When we sinned against God, you sent your son Jesus. You made the first move. You made things right by dying on the cross, paying the penalty, getting the curse and the consequences of our sinful actions. I want you to pray right now on your own. I believe the Holy Spirit is giving you names, faces, people that you need to forgive. 
The Holy Spirit is telling you to rid of all bitterness and offense. So today, I want you to take that first step by acknowledging, Lord, this bitterness that I have, this unforgiveness that I have, Lord, I now release and I surrender to you. And I want you to make a specific prayer and say the name of that person and say, Lord, today I release forgiveness. Lord, today we ask for forgiveness for harboring offense, nursing hurts, I pray today, God, that Lord, as we surrender to you, take away the burden or take away the weight that has put us, that has put us down for, for so long. Lord, that has deprived us of healthy relationships and loving relationships. That has hindered us from coming with a clear conscience before you in worship. Lord, today we choose to forgive the same way you have forgiven us. Lord, I pray for your healing to start, Lord, to happen right now, even as we release wounds and scars and surrender it to you. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts. And for some of us who might be on the receiving end and we've offended somebody, that's why they have a grudge over us, I pray, Lord, that we will be ready and open. Lord, even as we take a step of reconciliation to receive whatever it is that we're going to receive, whether it's going to be a positive remark from that person or a hateful negative remark, I pray that, Lord, we would show to them the unconditional love of Christ because we have been changed. Jesus, do your work in us. Lord, we also come to you today and we thank you because we ourselves, we've rebelled in sin against you. And you made the first move by loving us and dying on the cross for our sin. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we receive your forgiveness over our sins, over our lives. Lord, I know you wash away our sins. You've thrown, us, thrown it as far as the east is from the west. So far as you remove our sin from us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let the healing happen. Starting today, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right, assignment for everyone. Since I have assignments, okay? Right. Assignment is very simple. We need to apply this. You make the first move. We took step number one today. Acknowledging and lifting it up to God. 
your next step is don't lose a minute. Okay? Don't lose a day. Maybe you need to contact someone. Text, message, call, visit. And start the reconciliation process. Some of you, you need to go and just inform somebody you have been forgiven. And I love you as Christ has loved me. Thank you for listening to this message. For more messages like these from other Victory Centers, please visit victory.org.ph slash resources slash podcasts.